of course, I think that one of the biggest issues is the amount of interaction that we have with people. And so I definitely had to develop the skills and learn the skills to really start loving working with people. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the Whisker Cloud Veterinary Marketing Podcast. I'm Adam Greenbaum, CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. And today I have Dr. Lauren Smith of The Vetitude. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Thanks for being here. I haven't seen you since we had pizza together in Las Vegas like two years ago. That's right. I know. Right before the world shut down. You got to watch the NBA dunk contest with me and some other vets and my wife. I'm obsessed with the NBA dunk contest. So everyone got to see how insane I am about people dunking basketballs. <laughs> and yeah, and then the world went to hell and here we are. <laughs> right? No. Yeah, that was February of 2020. So it was literally right before the world went to hell. <laughs> you know, it's weird. It, it feels like it was just yesterday and it feels like it was 30 years ago. And it's so weird how it can be both. I'm excited to have you on just because as I've gotten to know you over the years and, and now even as a person who watches your TikToks and follows your social media, you just kind of tell it like it is. And you know, I get accused of being like that sometimes too. And some people say, hey, you're coming off a little negative and you're podcast. I'm like, shut up. No, I don't really say that. But <laughs> I'm like, listen, that's called real talk, my friends. We can't sugarcoat stuff. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. The reality is that there are a lot of problems in this profession. And the reality is that a lot of people are struggling. But if we just focus on that, I think we get pulled into this trap of like learned helplessness where we just think that it's all terrible and there's nothing we can do about it. And I feel like maybe we give up a little bit of our agency to all the negativity and kind of forget that we have the power to change things. I love that. But more like, let's do this because this is what I think is really interesting. Let me ask you this. So everybody knows that I love Marvel and I always ask, What's your veterinary origin story? But let's take a step back. Before we do that, I'll just ask you this. Do you have a favorite superhero? I'm not a huge superhero fan in general, I have to admit. I'm not into like the DC comics and everything. But when I was a kid, I really loved Xena Warrior Princess. Okay, I like that. I always thought maybe you were going to say like someone like the Hulk or maybe there's like some guy in California who runs a website marketing company that's inspired you. But all of that aside, what is your veterinary origin story? You know, how did you get into vet med? I don't have a some big revelatory moment or something. I was one of those stereotypical kids that wanted to be a vet for as long as I can remember. And then I think all of the things that normally pe drive people out of veterinary medicine, like being squeamish around blood or not being good at math and science, like none of that ever pertained to me. So I just never lost my interest. I It's just always what I wanted to do. Yeah. And it's so funny. It's like, I feel like that's kind of the standard story. It's like, I like this. I liked animals. I made the decision to go do it. And here I am. Do you ever, do you feel good about this decision today? Do you still feel, do you still feel the love of it that you felt, you know, from a young age? I do. I think that it definitely took some adjusting to get to the point where I love it. Not going to lie. In the beginning, I think like a lot of people, I had some moments where I questioned my decision because it's not the dream that you have as a kid. It's very, very different. And I had to 
readjust a lot of my expectations and over time learn to love it for what it was instead of the fantasy that I had as a kid. You know what's funny about that too? I kind of believe that like every job is kind of a fantasy, right? I just don't know. Is there anything on earth that people do where they're like, yeah, this is exactly, I mean, as people have heard me say, it's not glamorous. It's not a glamorous life running Whisker Cloud. Yes, we do a lot of cool stuff. Hey, I have a podcast. That's exciting. And I live a cool life personally, but oh my God, I work 16 hours a day, like without fail. There's not, there's very few days of my life. And for vets, I don't think people realize that. They're like, I get to be around puppies and kittens all day. You're like, oh, oh, that's not even close to what it is. Not even close to what I do. And of course, I think that one of the biggest issues is the amount of interaction that we have with people. And so I definitely had to develop the skills and learn the skills to really start loving working with people and get better at that. And so that's one of the things that I, one of the main things that I try to pass on with the vetitude, because I do believe that that is a, a, probably one of the biggest pain points, if not the biggest pain point for most veterinarians is that we went into this because we love medicine and we love animals. Not very many people went into it because they love dealing with people. And that winds up being probably the majority of the job. And you know what the thing is, like on this podcast, I'm just laughing because I've had maybe a dozen emails where I'll tell stories about customers that were maybe rude to my support team or rude to us just in general or whatever. It is what it is. It's not, you know, we, I don't give names and it's really not even, even if someone's listening and I, and I know this cause they've messaged me and said, were you talking about me? I said, well, I wouldn't tell anyone else on earth, but yes, I was talking about you that time. It's not like a shaming thing at all. It's really not. But I think we can all agree that people have rough days and not everyone can always keep it together on those rough days. And you kind of just have to deal with it. And sometimes it's worse than others. And it's not always great dealing with people. No. And anyone out there who says that they have not had a rough day themselves where they have maybe, you know, lashed out at the wrong person or taken their emotions out in the wrong way is either a saint, which I find hard to believe, or they're lying, or they don't have the self-awareness, I think, maybe to realize that we've all done it. Like, none of us are perfect. And if you don't, uh, you know, don't throw stones if you live in a glass house, right? And I think part of the problem is that we take it so personally, because of course, this is our profession. We've devoted so much of our lives to this, that it is personal to us. But, you know, when people are lashing out, they're mostly lashing out at the situation and it's not personal to you. And it's really hard to separate those two things. And I think if you just get to a point, and by the way, this is a really hard point to get to, because on one hand, I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. On the other hand, my business is my life. It's my baby and I'll protect it. And I, and I would never want someone to have a bad opinion of whisker cloud. So, I mean, I totally understand sometimes those are, you know, it's like, well, you can't take it personal, even though it's just, you know, it's just whatever, but it's just tough, especially 
I know most vets take their business and their life and what they do for a living. So personally, I'm very similar where like, this is personal to me. So if you have an issue, if anyone out there has ever had an issue at Whisker Hud, you probably heard from me directly just because I care so much, but you, you know, and then you just have to remember you can't please everyone. It's just this is horrible game of back and forth. It's tough. You definitely can't please everyone. And I think part of the issue is finding the right people, finding the right clients for you. But I think the other part is trying to reframe it when, I mean, sometimes people are talking specifically about you. Of course, you shouldn't let anyone talk down to you or say derogatory things to you or things like that. But when people are upset about the situation, when they're upset about the bill or they're upset because their pet didn't pull through or whatever it is, trying to reframe that narrative in your head so that you're on the same team with them. Like, yes, I agree. This situation really sucks. You know, I'm sorry that you're going through this and then be on the same team together can really help to defuse so many of those situations. Completely agree. But you know, sometimes in the heat of the moment, it's just tough. I mean, I went out to dinner last night with my wife and my in-laws and we made this reservation. I think it was like six or eight months ago. And first off, it was horrific and nothing what any of us expected. And it was like the special menu. They had what's called raclette. It's like a Swiss French thing. And they have this giant wheel of cheese, like huge, like, a foot in diameter, if not more. Well, you think you do. And then you do this raclette thing and they like melt it. And then they, they're supposed to like give you like food and meats and salads. And like, they like take a hot knife and like melt this cheese down on your plate. Well, it was nothing like that. And it was like really built up to be this great thing, really false advertising. And then we got there and I asked a question to the waitress and she gave me the most, just like the rudest answer with the worst tone last night. And it was funny. Cause like my wife instantly looked at me like, is he going to say something? And I was like, okay, thank you very much. And you know, and even in that moment I thought, okay, I don't know what her deal is. This we waited eight months for this. You'd think she'd be on her game tonight, but I'm not going to light a match on this situation and make it worse. I'm just going to say, okay, great. Thank you. And that's how it goes. And I don't know. I think it's hard for whether you're a vet or whether you own whisker cloud or whatever, to sort of be in that moment to say, guess what? This person's being rude. I'm just going to take a breath, but sometimes you have to. And it's definitely not the natural thing to do. I mean, the way that we are built, I mean, we, We are animals. Humans are animals. We are animals who have developed a very large neocortex that is capable of logical thinking and higher order thinking. But when it comes down to it, those more primitive, the, you know, quote unquote lizard brain, the amygdala, that is still, it takes precedence in certain situations. And it overrides your ability to think logically. So yes, when you are in that moment, you literally sometimes can't help it. You have what's called an amygdala hijack where the amygdala hijacks your brain and you are reacting just in a fight or flight, like this is a threat kind of moment. And so there are ways to break yourself and break your clients out of that because that's what's going on with a lot of them. Are they in the, they're in this amygdala hijack type moment where they are literally not capable of thinking reasonably and you have to like break that cycle and break them out of it. 
Okay, I'm just like a coder and marketing guy, so a lot of what you said just went right. No, I'm just kidding. I get it. Makes sense, right? You're like amygdala. Yeah, I remember that scene from The Water Boy where they're talking about the medulla oblongata, and that just reminded me of that. By the way, so everyone knows we have like a survey we send out, and you know what's the favorite thing about vet med, and and what's the least favorite thing about vet med, and I everything we've been talking about is kind of going to go into what we were talking about. But let's talk about this because you said your favorite thing about vet med is hard to pick, and it changes as you go along. Human animal bond, helping families, all of that stuff. I would assume if you're a veterinarian, that just has to be it, right? It's just like. I mean, I know how I feel about my pets. I will take a bullet for any three. That is not a joke. That is made very, very, very clear. My wife knows that too. In fact, we've had many discussions about it. I'm like, listen, there's ever a car or something coming and there's a dog, whatever the case might be, just know I'm not thinking twice. So, you know, that human animal bond is so important. Is How cool is it just to be able to really help people strengthen that and really help people, you know, keep their family members safe? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like so rewarding. And I think most veterinarians that you ask will tell you that the vast majority of the thank yous they get are from people whose animals they've euthanized, which sounds insane. Like you save a pet's life. You think that that's going to, that people are going to be so grateful for that, but they're way more grateful when you euthanize their pet, because this is a moment that is just, so terrible for them, but you are helping them through that. And to make that moment a little less terrible for them, honestly, that means so much more to them than you realize. And so I think the gratitude that you get of just making that terrible moment a little bit less terrible for people is surprisingly satisfying. Like, you know, people talk about how euthanasia is the worst part of the job, blah, blah, blah. And it is. I mean, it's terrible to end a life. But It's also, you know, very affirming to know that you have been a part of this bond between this client and this animal and that you have, you know, been there for something so emotional and such that's just such a sad but important moment in this bond that they have, right? Because this is the last memory they have of their pet and you are a part of that now. I think about that that day in those moments, like so often I'm like, I just, I'll do anything on earth to push that back as far as I can. So, but no, everything you just said is really true. And we, by the way, we do see that a lot. It's like our emergency vet hospitals just get destroyed with horrible reviews and, and a lot of our in-home euthanasia customers or, you know, clinics that really specialize in that. I mean, they just get a lot of their reviews are just like, thank you for making that final hour, you know, so great. It just goes to show that, yeah, I mean, obviously we're here to help the animals, but I think that so often we forget about the power that we have to help the people. That's a good way to look at it. Seriously, that's great. Let's talk about, you're on because you're like the perfect person to talk about this. And this is something that I've seen is so widespread in veterinary medicine. In fact, Andy Rourke just wrote, I just saw him post something he just posted a post to todaysveterinarybusiness.com, how we see ourselves matters. And I thought it was really great. 
And he basically talks about like, if we see ourselves as constantly being bullied and we see ourselves as these stressed out people, like that's what we're going to be. And you talked about that in your survey. You know, you just said the least favorite thing would be the negativity. It's a hard profession. I know many vets and vet teams are struggling, but the negativity and sense of learned helplessness, it seems to perfuse a profession these days, I think becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I really believe in self-fulfilling prophecies a lot, like more than a lot of other things. And before we even jump in, like one of the things I was telling you before we started recording, it's like when we have new employees and they're like interacting with customers or they're, you know, helping with support tickets with customers or working with customers to build a site. I kind of get the same feedback. I'm always like, how was your first couple of weeks of dealing with them? And they're like, man, they really like say a lot of bad things about themselves. They say a lot of bad things about their employers. And I've noticed that in my six, seven years in veterinary medicine, how many people will like, we're not asking these questions. We're not like, Hey, how's life at the hospital today? Does it suck? But they're like, Hey guys, hope you're having a great day. It sure sucks here. Can you help us add this to the website? And it's always like, Oh wow. That was like, that was like very interesting non sequitur. Yeah. But like it happens a lot. So I feel like you're the perfect person to talk about this. So how did we get here? How did we get where there's just a very negative vibe? How do we stop and look in the mirror and say, it's not going to be this way? I've been talking about this thing. Again, I'm going to use a medical word here. So I've been calling it the Samajii effect of boundaries. And the Samajii effect since uh, is in diabetes, if you give too much insulin, a pets or a person, I suppose, their blood sugar can drop too low. And then you have this rebound effect where the body can overcompensate and start pumping out all this extra sugar. And suddenly you can have a blood sugar that's way too high even though you've been overdosing them on insulin. And I feel like this is almost happening in a sense with our boundaries in veterinary medicine. We've for so long have just let ourselves be abused and emotionally manipulated and guilted into things. And we have lacked these boundaries. And now there's this push to prioritize our health and our boundaries and our mental health and our emotional health and our, you know prevent burnout and all of these kinds of things, which is great. But I think we almost got to a point where we got so bad that we, the boundaries that we're setting have almost rebounded too far in the opposite direction. Like there's this push out there to say no to everything. And I think that that becomes a problem because one, a lot of the satisfaction that we do get from our job is from doing things that, uh, you know, from saying yes, from seeing that emergency or fitting that patient in and seeing how grateful they are, right? And we're not doing that right now. And part of that is because we just literally can't because there's just not enough of us to go around. But I think part of it is that you hear people like, yes, we have to change the environment and we have to change the culture of veterinary medicine. But some people I feel like are like, well, if you don't say no to fitting in that emergency or you don't say no to working through your lunch break, you're somehow damaging veterinary medicine. You're putting that on everybody, right? I don't know. I feel like I'm babbling a little bit here. No, I mean, you're exactly right. And and like, let me just ask you this. Like, is it on the owner of the business to like set that tone? I think that 
To some extent it is. Yes. I, I think that a lot of the problems that we have are due to toxic workplace cultures. And so I think that the corporations, the, even the private owners of the practice owners, the management, they definitely need to be setting a tone that says, one, I support you. If you cannot see this pet, I don't want to push you past your boundaries. I don't want to ask you, you know, I'm not going to let clients treat you badly. I'm not going to allow this toxic client to continue to come here. But I think it's also on them to empower their employees, right? Like for me, sometimes if there's an emergency that comes in or someone comes in late and like right before my lunch break, if I say, no, I'm not going to see it, then I spend my entire lunch break feel like, you know, thinking about that pet. And it, for me, my boundary is better to say, okay, I'm going to see it. I'm going to get it over with rather than have it sitting there waiting to be seen because then it can be off my plate and I don't have to be like ruminating about it. Right. So yes, you need to be able to, I think that the, the owner of the business, I think that the practice managers, they need to say, Hey, you don't have to see this right now, (laughs) but I think that it's also okay if you want to. Do they, Like, are they ever going to say that? No, there are some practices because I'm a relief veterinarian and I work all over and there definitely are practices that are moving towards that and are really prioritizing their uh, culture and they, the boundaries of their team members and are giving them the power to say no, that absolutely is happening. But of course there are still so many practices where that's not happening. That's so interesting. Like we focus so hard, I mean, crazy hard on infrastructure and so much at Whisker Cloud as we've grown and scaled. It's really hard to scale. And I I just think a lot of people aren't willing to say, shit, this is really hard. And I'm the first one to say it. I've read so many books in the last couple of years and I've listened to so many podcasts. I've read so many articles, just everything on like how to scale a company because it is hard. And I think when I started Whisker Cloud, You know, everyone out there who's listening who doesn't know the story, this is bootstrapped. I put every penny I had into starting it. You know, we're we've grown. We got about thirty employees. Like that's really hard to get to. Vets know that. And by the way, I did it without a loan. I mean, the first year was like me doing ten jobs. I mean, that was the only way to do it. And I had to get it out of my head that if my employees didn't seem to care as much as me, like that pissed me off. I really had to teach myself like that is insane. They should not care as much as me. I've never had a job previous to owning my own company where I cared as much as the owner or my boss. I just shouldn't. It was dumb, but I struggled with that. And then there were times when we were a small company and like, you know, some, you know, we maybe had three or four people and like we had a busy Friday and like two people would say, Hey, we're going to take PTO. And I'd be like, okay, cool. And privately I'd be like, man, they suck. They knew it was, but then I'm like, no, it's, it's my job. It's not their job to say, I'm not going to take it off. So I think there's just a lot of learning that has to go into that. And I've struggled with that. Like a couple of weeks ago, we had seven people out one day, which, you know, it's like you go through these things where you're like, okay, you know, when you got almost 30 people, you're like, okay, we're good. Like a few people want to be out and then seven people are out in a day. And I'm like asking all the team leaders, I was like, how is it? And they're like, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little shaky today. We, we definitely, it's just too many people out. I'm like, okay, we, you know, how did this happen? Well, it's not like every team checks in with every team. If one or two people need to be out, we've got multiple departments, like that's going to happen. So it was fine. But all of a sudden, like, 
you know, you got 25% of the business or, you know, of our employees gone. We really felt it for a day. And that was tough. But I also don't want to be the person that's not encouraging that. And I don't want to be the person that was like, hey, everyone, don't do that again. And we just let it be. And it was just an anomaly. And I hope, you know, I hope in the future we plan better. There are going to be days where people have to be out or, you know, something happens and you just need to buckle down and get through it. I also think, and I think that this is particularly true specific to vet medicine, although it's probably, you know, it's probably true in general. Of course, a lot of veterinary practice owners don't have business management. So you don't really think about the fact that a lot of times that is, that's good for business. You think, oh my God, we're in crisis mode, right? But in the long run, how much does employee turnover cost a business? How much does burnout cost a business in terms of lost productivity? So in the moment, it seems like a crisis, but in the long run, if you have that positive culture and you're taking care of your employees, they are going to take care of you. And I think that that's particularly important, like I said, in veterinary medicine, because we are dealing with medical stuff. We are dealing with life and death issues. And the last thing you really need is to be pushing your staff to stay late and cut that emergency foreign body when they've been working, you know, 50 hours already that week and they're stressed and they're exhausted and God forbid someone make a mistake, right? That's not good for anybody. Yeah, I love what you just said about making mistakes too, because you know, with us, there's a lot of code. I mean, we actually had, it was cool, the head of our web development team hosted a training with her whole web team, which is 11 people here at Whisker Cloud, the people that build the websites. And then she invited our content and social media team, which is like seven or eight people. And they watched us launch a website and watching all of their faces. They were just like, I can't believe everything is going, everything that's being put into this and everything that's going through us. And I think what was great about that is we have all these teams that sort of work together, but also work separately. And I think if you can start to see, because now the content team is going to host like a training to show our web designers what they do, because there's a lot that goes into it. Oh my God, there's, they have, they're, churning out thousands of graphics and videos and posts and data and campaigns and tracking everything. It's a lot. And I think like everyone kind of seeing what everyone does will hopefully make sure everyone understands if someone is racing to finish something or someone is stressed about something that we can all be empathetic because now we see what goes into what they do. So I like that our teams came up with that idea. And and I was really thinking a lot about hospitals and how they can implement stuff like that, where, you know, how can we all understand what everyone's going through, whether it's the front desk, back of house, vet techs, doctors, surgeons, everything. I mean, it's a lot. And I don't think everyone sees what everyone goes through every day. No, definitely not. I always say, I mean, it is very easy for me to get frustrated with the front desk staff with those CSRs. But if there is one job I would not want in the hospital, it is to be a CSR. Like, that is the hardest job. And so, yeah, it's easy to get frustrated because, you know, you're not there in it. I think that we need to take a little bit more appreciation and really put ourselves in the shoes of the other people that we work with and know what they're going through. I love that you said like you could be a C- I couldn't be a CSR. I like it's so funny, you know, and it's like, I mean, our whole team has access to our support tickets and all that. And I mean, I'll go through and check. And if there's like easy stuff, I'll just knock them out really quick if I'm like watching TV at night. But you know, we've got a lot of people who do support tickets and I, you know, I see a lot of stuff. I'm always like, oh yeah, I wouldn't have, I could not imagine being a CSR at a vet hospital. I mean, 
seriously, if you're out there listening, just know everyone at Whisker Cloud, no matter what, we got your back. We know what you go through. I mean, I can't even imagine the way that people are nowadays. It's just got to be chaos. And we see the reviews that come in. We're like, oh my God, they had to be in person with this person. Like, there's no way I would have lasted 30 seconds. I talk a lot about how to deal with angry clients and how to de-escalate those situations. But obviously they are seeing it tenfold versus what I'm seeing and having to deal with. And then on top of that, I just hate talking on the phone. Like, Even when it's curbside, I go outside and I talk to the client because I just can't stand talking on the phone. I hate it. The only times I talk on the phone ever, people know this about me. Even if we're doing meetings, like I have a meeting today at 3.30 p.m. And you know what I'm doing? I'm taking my dogs. It's an hour-long call. I have to be there, and I'm walking my dogs because I cannot just sit there and talk on the phone. I will... like my house is three story. We have a three story townhouse. And it's funny if I'm on the phone, my wife laughs because I'm like going up and down the stairs 50 times. I'm like literally doing the dishes, doing laundry. Even now when people are like need a meeting and we don't have to be on zoom, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I'm doing the dishes or, Oh, I'm doing the laundry. They're like, oh, okay. I'm like, don't worry. I'm listening. I just, you know, I can't just sit there. I don't want to do it. And God forbid, that's just me talking to people. I, you know, I like God forbid you have like pet owners screaming at you on the other side. I would lose my mind. And there's so much that you can't convey over the phone, like a big part of being able to empathetically communicate with people to in being able to calm them down involves things like body language and facial expressions and these things that you just can't convey over the phone. So it makes everything 10 times harder. But this is the problem. It's the self-fulfilling prophecy. It's everyone talk. I mean, we meet so many vets. We, I mean, we work with thousands. And guess what? The vets in Canada, the vets in Australia, the vets in Germany, the vets in London and France that we work with, like they all make the same comments about it. So if everyone is miserable and everyone's upset and everyone's saying, we got to figure this out, we have to figure out the suicide stuff, we have to do this. What is it actually going to take to just wake up and say, I don't give a shit about yesterday? Today's going to be a good day. And you know what? And then an hour later, something crazy happens. Like, how do people learn to just shake that off? I definitely think the art of compartmentalization is essential. <laughs> I also think the problem is, and the re- a big reason that it is a self-fulfilling prophecy is because we expect people to be mean to us now, right? We talk so much about how mean people are that we expect it. And oftentimes that creates it. So I had weight loss surgery a few years ago, and I was supposed to have it in August. And for a week before the surgery, I needed to be on a liquid diet. And so I had taken time off work, which obviously in veterinary medicine is very difficult to do. (laughs) I had thrown away hundreds of dollars worth of food in my refrigerator. I had been on a liquid diet for days, so I was hangry as hell. And the surgeon's assistant calls me up five days before my surgery and says, the insurance declined your pre-approval. You're not, we're canceling your surgery. And I was pissed, of course, right? Obviously I was pissed. Wait, I love the Hulk. How pissed were you? I was hangry as hell. <laughs> love it. The first thing out of my mouth was a pretty nasty, well, why am I just finding out about this now? Now, you know that this poor woman, this poor surgeon's assistant is the person who has to give all of the bad news. So she knew I was going to yell at her. She got on that phone prepared to be yelled at. And she got on that phone with her defenses up. And so when I said, why am I finding out about this now? She says, well, we just found out about it too. 
And I'm like, well, so you're telling me you had no idea this was even a possibility? And she's like, well, we were fighting with the insurance company on your behalf. And I was like, well, so then you did know it was a possibility. And it just escalated out of control. And then I hung up the phone and I immediately knew that I was a jerk. Because right? I was like, oh my God, how did that just happen? And then I thought to myself, what if when I had said, why am I just finding out about this now? She said, I know, I'm so sorry. This really sucks. I hate that this is happening to you. Like, it would have been an entirely different discussion. Like, we would have been on the same side together. And then I thought to myself, how often do I do that? How often do I get on the phone prepared to be defensive? And then, you know, I have to call someone with bad news and I know they're going to yell at me. And so I prepare to be defensive. And so when they have their very understandable reaction, I say something defensive, I get defensive, and I escalate the situation instead of de-escalating it. I think that happens a lot. And so I think that we actually, you know, if we could find a way to be more aware of that and to break ourselves out of that cycle, that there would be a lot less angry clients for us to deal with. And we wouldn't have as many of those bad situations. And of course, it's I'm not saying that it's our fault, right? It wasn't that woman's fault that I yelled at her. I was a jerk. I know it. But she had the power to de-escalate the situation. It's like trying to put out a grease fire with, with water. It's not your fault that there was a grease fire, right? But And it doesn't mean you deserve to have your house burned down. But are there things that you could do to put that out and minimize the damage? Absolutely. And I think that we need to take a little bit more agency over that instead of saying just there's nothing we can do and having this sense of learned helplessness realizing that there are things that we can do to make it better, to minimize the damage and to have better interactions with people. One of the things I teach every single employee at Whisker Cloud, and I preach this till I'm out of breath, is I've gotten to the point where there is not a technical aspect of anything we do here, coding, design, SEO, social media, analytics, advertising, hosting, DNS, email hosting. Like I am a 1000% expert in everything we do. I know every job at this company and I know how to do it at the highest level. And then you have people that come in here and they're like, they're 80% at great at their job, which is great. But anyway, I always tell people, if you're an expert and you know what you're talking about, you're never going to find yourself in that situation. Because if someone's pissed, you're going to get on the phone with them. You're going to know exactly what to say and how to say it because you're going to be an expert and it's going to calm things down. But if you go on there and you try to bullshit or you try to like kind of throw some fluff at them, they're going to get pissed. And I just really believe it comes to training your staff for any rough conversation they have. And we do that. We do role playing on like the number one issue we have. This is like without fail. It's like someone starts a brand new veterinary business, whether it's a brick and mortar or mobile, they have a brand new domain, a brand new business. We launch everything, we build everything. And then three days after they launch, they're like, why am I not at the top of Google? And we go over that with them at length during the onboarding process. You're brand new. You're not going to even show up on Google for a month. And when you do, you're not going to be on the first page. This is a five to six month thing. And we go through it and it's like without fail, it happens. And then, you know, I've listened to, we record calls with customers so we can learn from it. And, you know, I listen to those calls. I'm like, you know, the answer to that. Why'd you stumble? Cause if I was on the phone, it's sort of like you with the woman who canceled your thing. If I'm on the phone and someone's like stumbling and bumbling, I feel like I'm 
catching them lying to me. And then I, and I feel myself maybe going, being a little bit more aggressive towards them. But if they're just being real, then I don't, I'm cool. But the other thing that you said was so important was that you go over all of that with them onboarding, you prepare them for what to expect. And so I think setting expectations is hugely important. And one place where I feel like I've been feeling more and more like we're failing maybe a little bit as a profession is setting expectations early. Like when people come in with their puppies, we talk to them about food. We talk to them about vaccines. We talk to them about behavior. How often do we talk to them about, do you have a plan for if your dog has an emergency? Do you know where the emergency clinic is? Do you know how you're going to get them there? If you have a hundred pound Mastiff, how are you going to get them? Do you have a plan for getting them to the emergency clinic if they can't walk? Are you prepared for what it's going to cost? Do you know that a emergency surgery with your dog could cost four to $5,000 and that the emergency clinics don't accept payment plans? If we prepared them for these things and we maybe had an emergency preparedness thing, are you preparing them for the fact that you may not be able to see them with an emergency? This is what we are capable of doing in our practice. And this is where the emergency clinic is because there are going to be times when there are where we are not the best person to see your pet, right? If they were prepared for these things, yes, some people are still going to get upset, but I think it would really mitigate a lot of the issues that we have. I know. And it's so interesting that you just said that because we have this just insane checklist that we go through when we're onboarding people and after they've launched. And that checklist has evolved over the years just tremendously. But it's so funny because we say to them when they're building, like, okay, cool. You know, you don't have, you haven't given us any emergency information. Like, ah, eh, just leave it off. We're like, okay, we'll leave it off, but this is why it'd be good. No, it's okay. Okay. You don't have an FAQ section. No, nah, we don't want that. We're like, well, don't you want people to be able to know what payment options you accept, how long it's been since they last saw you before they can get prescription refill, things like that. How often they should, you know, clean their pet's teeth, things, you know, or whatever, how to make an appointment. And they're always like, no, we don't want it. And then of course, like it's like clockwork, something happens where they're like, Hey, we just had a crazy weekend or this and this happened. And we ended up not being able to help a dog that passed away. Can you add something on our site that if something's happening after hours to please go here or call these people? And we're like, yeah, we mentioned that. Like, we really don't want you to go through that. But the, you know, I, I really struggle with that. Cause I think about that a lot. I'm like, I want every customer at whisker cloud to have a thousand page website. I do. And I want them to have everything we can build. And I want them to have every, I want all the forms online. I want them to be doing funnels. I want them to have FAQs, emergency page. I want them to have link trees. I just want them to have, because we can do anything. I want them to have it all. But like, it's sort of like my vet, right? It's like, my dogs are nine and 11 and I'm doing everything. I asked to do everything, but are they like, Hey Adam, we just want to talk to you. Like these are five things we really want Sophie and Baxter to be doing as they get older. Can you make sure you're doing them? Like they don't do that. I think in a perfect world, vets would be a little more like that. But how do you do that? If you have 5,000 patients, it's just weird. Like I, I think about this a lot. It's so hard. There are definitely issues with time constraints and with lack of of staff. And I think that we do need to come up with ways to be more efficient, which is why I think that, you know, what you guys do is so important and so great because 
we need to be using technology to our advantage to make ourselves more efficient, to be able to, you know, book appointments online so that we're not using up our CSR staff or to be able to do refill prescriptions online so that we're not like taking up people's time for those things that don't necessarily need the personal touch so that we have more time to devote to those other things that, you know, to really connecting with our clients and building that relationship. So how do we do this? How do we get, cause I mean, like I always harp on these Facebook groups, but yeah, it's always, and everyone's always trying to one up each other. Oh, you think that was bad? Listen to this. Oh, well, you think that was bad? Listen to this. It's like, no, stop, celebrate the wins. How do we get more positive. So the self-fulfilling prophecy is, hey, it's actually really great to be in veterinary medicine. And I really enjoy my job. And yeah, some people are assholes, but who cares? Because I enjoy taking care of their pet. I can disregard what they say and move on with my life. Is, there, is it even possible for an entire industry to do that? Or is uh, half of my podcasts and, and all of the webinars and blogs and, and downloads that you have on your site and like everything we talk about, is it just sort of, is it just fairy dust? Is it Fugazi? I think that the biggest thing and the reason that I do what I do is because that we need to have the other perspective out there. We need to be showing people the, you know, the talking about the positives and reminding them about the good things and showing them that, that it is possible to still love your career and that not everyone is miserable. I, I think that that visibility is super important. And again, I also think that it's super important to prepare our vets, just like I think it's important to prepare our clients. I think it's important to prepare our vets in vet school for what they're going to be experiencing. And it shouldn't all be, this is how you do a surgery that you're never going to do because you're going to refer it (laughs) to the surgeon, right? (laughs) We're training our vet students, uh, so many of them in these tertiary hospitals that are doing things that they're not going to be doing. And we're neglecting things like client communication and business and the things that are the actual pain points that make people not enjoy their careers. And so I think that we need to be devoting a little bit more time to teaching vet students how to do this before they become burned out. It's just so tough. And like I said, if I mean, if you're out there and you own a veterinary business, you own a practice, you have employees, it just has to start with you. And I've struggled with that too. I mean, running Whisker Cloud. I don't really have a lot of easy days, but I just love it so much. I love the technology. We just bought some new software that's like artificial intelligence. And we I was playing with it yesterday. I have not been so excited about something in a long time. And I was just like, I was having so much fun with it. I'm like, oh my God, our customers are going to love this. I like stuff like that. But the days where I'm not mentally like i don't want i'm not going to be up and about like oh god everyone hell yeah you know let's be mr positive where i'm just tired or stressed i've got a lot going on i just kind of minimize my interactions with people and if they're you know we use slack if they're messaging me over slack i'm like hey happy tuesday how's life hey it's a great day how are you you feeling good okay if you need anything let me know and i might not be feeling that way but the thing i've always thought of in personal and professional relationships that means a lot to me is I set the tone. And I believe that with every relationship. It's like, and I want to be the one that sets the tone. I want to let people know who I am, how I act, how I operate. And I want to be the person that sort of takes the lead. It doesn't mean I control everything that happens, but I feel like I can set the tone early. Like, okay, he's an open book. He's an honest guy. You know, if I text him, he, there's a chance he might text me back in 10 seconds or there's a chance he, I might not hear from him for three days, but I know that he'll get back to me And I just think practice owners during their worst days and their toughest days, 
they have to set the tone better than what they do. Cause a lot of these groups, it's a lot of the practice owners really bitching and unhappy. And I get it. It sucks. You got events, but other people see it, your employees see it. And then they think it's okay because you're setting the tone. Right. To the same extent, I think it's also okay to occasionally set the tone that we all have bad days. <laughs> and so it's okay to have a bad day now and then. I mean, obviously it's not okay to for your day, bad day to involve throwing instruments at your team or, you know, cursing them out. <laughs> but if there's a day where you're not your usual, like I had some family stuff happening over the last few weeks and like, Last week, I was definitely not my usual exuberant, bubbly self. <laughs> now I was more withdrawn and, you know, maybe not as talkative and bubbly. But again, I wasn't, I didn't let that turn into me being abusive or me being like really miserable. But it's okay to maybe not always be 100% because no one's 100% all the time. And I think setting the tone that for other people that you're human. <laughs> And you're going to have bad days is okay. Also, this is the second time on this podcast. I've like made a comment about like not showing when you're upset and you're the second person that's been like, actually dude, like it's okay to do that. And it's just really interesting. And I, and I like, I appreciate that line of thinking because I do, I don't want to affect people. I don't want them to be like, Oh, the boss is mad. I'm going to have a rough day, but I get what you're saying. I definitely think that toxic positivity is a real issue as well. You know, that gets comes down to the the matter of telling people, oh, just suck it up and just be happy. You know, you're doing what you always wanted to do. Just be happy. You have a job. Just be happy about it. Right. No, like because then you're taking away, you're dismissing the fact that, you know, not everything is perfect. And then things don't get better. Right? Things don't get better if you don't address the fact that they're not perfect all the time. If you just like put on the happy face all the time and say, just be grateful. Well, yeah, I mean, you should be grateful for what you have, but you should also try to make things better. So if you were going to give, you know, veterinary business owners out there, just one piece of advice to sort of get out of this self-fulfilling prophecy, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give? I know I used to think that this was like really hokey and it just like, you know, the and I just, it wasn't for me, but I, I think that there's something to it. And that is, again, I know I just said, we shouldn't be like just concentrating on, oh, you should be grateful for what you have. But I do think that gratitude is important. So at the end of the day, I think for every one bad interaction that we have, we need like three good interactions to overcome that and to not focus on it. So I think that at the end of the day, maybe just getting together with your team and having a huddle and saying, hey, what went well today? Let's leave this place concentrating. You know, maybe you can start by saying, hey, is there anything that we need to work on? But then end with, okay, what went well? Let's leave here remembering all of the clients that we helped. Let's think about three clients who were happy that you helped them and were grateful and said thank you. And so let's focus a little bit more on the positive clients and not let the negative ones take up all of our brain space. I love that. Cause I play basketball in high school and I still love basketball to this day. And like the ballers code, which is what me and all my teammates and a lot of NBA players say, it's like, you can't end a game or even a practice on a miss. You cannot. And like my wife knows, cause we go shoot hoops a lot down here and I'm like, you know, we both have to make the final shot. You gotta. And I like that. I like what you just said. That thing. I think that's a good way to do it. So how can people find you 
on social media, online, on the website? Like, how can people who listen to this and said, oh, God, she's great. Like, how do they interact with you? So I'm the Vetitude pretty much everywhere at the Vetitude on Instagram, at the Vetitude on Facebook. I'm mostly active on Instagram, but I'm on Facebook too. And you can email me through my wonderful Whisker Cloud provided website at lauren at the or you can go to the to find out more. I love it. And yeah, I mean, you do great on social media and I have seen your TikToks and they're awesome. Well, TikTok, <laughs> I still can't quite get a handle on TikTok. I have a TikTok account and I pretty much just repost my Instagram. I think the problem that I have with TikTok is that you can't really write captions. And so a lot of my Instagram reels are like, out of context may seem wrong. Like I'll talk about, you know, that client who says that really mean thing to you and out of context, it could seem like client shaming, but then I put in the caption, this is how you deal with that situation, right? Or this is why you should maybe cut them a little bit of slack. So TikTok, I'm not really particularly active on TikTok, but I do do a lot of Instagram reels where I can can add context in my captions. I'll make sure just everyone out there listening, I'll make sure to link to her social pages and website in the show notes on our site when this goes live. But yeah, I would go follow the Vetitude on Instagram. I mean, you have, you've built a huge following and, and you really care about making new content. And I love that. Like content's hard to do and you do so good. You do great with it. You, Tanasia, Ashley Bourgeois, like all of you are just crushing it with the Instagram content. I mean, I was struggling for a little bit there last year during COVID, but I'm definitely back into really turning out the content and really trying to be more proactive about getting stuff out there. Because I think that while I'm super passionate about helping pets and helping pet owners, I think that I'm becoming even more passionate about helping the veterinary profession and to really trying to bring back people's joy of vet medicine. And so I've definitely been trying to devote more time and focus to the vetitude to be able to do that. Well, thank you so much for being on. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Everyone out there listening, you know the deal. Go to thevetitude.com, follow her on social. And hey, if you like this podcast and our other episodes, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just type in Whisker Talks. You'll find us. Please like, share, subscribe, all of that stuff. And everyone have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Lauren. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam.